So we come to the last chapter of the book of 1 John. We find another test that John gives. What he does in this letter is he helps us understand our own spiritual state before God is he gives us a series of tests. They may be reduced really to mathematical equations. John says that so much plus so much equals so much and it's very difficult to argue with him. And here in these verses, one to five, the tests that he has already given of love, the test of righteousness are inseparably bound to the test of belief. One of the reasons for the anemic condition of organized religion that calls itself Christian in our world today is, the, is a faulty idea about what belief in Jesus really is. There is no way to say it in the English the way the Greek said it. We don't have a word. If the closest way we could come to what the New Testament means when it says believe in Jesus is faith Jesus, faith it. Belief is more than mental acceptance of facts. That is why there are hundreds of millions of people in our world today who would say in response to a question about their religion, I am a Christian who are lost and bound for hell because they have believed facts. They have accepted what they think to be true, that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe that, they accept that, and that's as far as it goes. But the New Testament concept of belief, the word pistuo means faith that produces action. And the New Testament would not admit that it is possible for genuine faith not to produce a life of faith in God that demonstrates love for Him and obedience to His commandments. It means acceptance from the heart of all that is implied in the work of Jesus, His death for our sins, His resurrection for our eternal security. You see, love for God and love for others are part of the same experience. And you cannot have one without having the other. Notice in the text of 1 John 5, first of all in verse 1, here is what I have called vitality or life. John writes, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the father loves the child or the children born of him. The word believes is the word pistuo, which means faith that produces action. He goes on in the second clause of that sentence to say whoever loves God, whoever acts out that love, whoever has a real love for him will love the children or the child born of him. He doesn't say that the believer ought to love God's children. He says the believer does love God's children it is impossible not to. For you see, his nature within us means that love for others follows inevitably and always the new birth experience, period. 
And when you have confessed, I have tried to love thus and such, or I tried to do this, or I tried to have a right attitude, all you have confessed is that in the flesh without the internal presence of Jesus, you have tried to do what it is impossible for you to do. For without his presence, it is impossible for you to genuinely love others who belong to Jesus. And with his presence, with salvation, it is impossible for you not to love them. Whoever loves the Father loves the children born of him. You see, family love is a part of nature. Family love is normal. We love many in human relationships simply because of the family relationship, and it is unnatural not to. And since we are children in the same family, with the same father, we do love each other. Now, brothers in the family of the devil love each other, but they love only each other and no others. You see, love leads to an attitude of service. Love leads to an attitude of desiring to do something for others. And those who crave attention, those who are always desiring attention are never, ever really happy. Dr. Harry Ironside, commenting on 1 John 5, said that, one day at his church, he spoke with two people who had attended meetings at another church. And one of them said, that was the coldest place I've ever been. And the other one said, oh, what a warm and loving place that was. He went back and he talked to them and he asked the first one, why did you say it was cold? And that individual said, well, nobody spoke to me. Nobody paid any attention to me. And Ironside said, and to whom did you speak? And to whom did you pay attention? He asked the other individual, why did you say it was so warm there? They said, oh, they were so friendly. When I spoke to them, they responded with loves and smiles. And I wonder, to whom did you speak? And I am recalled, reminded of the words of Jesus when he said, why don't you take the log out of your own eye before you see the splinter in somebody else's? Here is vitality. Here is life. The one who loves the Father does love the Father of the children of the Father. It is that simple. Verses 2 and 3, here is virility or strength to do what is right. Now in these verses, John writes, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome or heavy. The word love in verse 2, the word observe in verse 2 are in the present tense of continuous action. It is the habitual practice 
of the Christian's life to keep on loving God by loving others, to keep on observing his commandments. And in one translation of the New Testament, the translator says, this is how we can be sure when we love God, when we love others. Love for God, now this is a mathematical equation, the way John sets it up. Love for God equals obedience to his commandments equals love for others. Love for God equals obedience to his commands equals love for others. In the Gospel of John, one asked Jesus one day, Lord, what is the first and greatest commandment? And Jesus responded that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. On these hinges all the law and the prophets, said the Lord Jesus. His commandment is that we love, but it is not a do-it-or-else situation. It is like these lights that have just went, gone off. They're either on or they're off. Now, folks, either the light is on or it is off. The individual always craving attention is never happy. At the best, that is a very immature person. More likely, it is a lost individual. The light is either on or it is off. For when you love somebody, you're not nearly so concerned about what they do to you as you are about what you may do to them. Here is strength to do right. Love for God equals obedience to his commandments and his commandments equal loving each other. We do show love as we obey his commandments and the obedience to that command will put us right with all men. For you see, God always enables us to do what he asks us to do. He always enables us to do what he asks us to do. He gives us no command without giving us the strength to do it. And John says in these verses and elsewhere in this letter repeatedly, you cannot, cannot, love God without loving his people. You see, love for God makes his commandments our delight rather than our burden, and there is no greater joy than to obey him. You know, John does not say that his will is easy, for it is not. But you see, he doesn't ask us to perform his will within our own power. He doesn't ask us to obey his commandments within our own strength. It is not easy. These are tremendous demands, but he living through us will fulfill all that he demands of us. For love, no duty is too hard, no task is too great. And the opposite of what John says is equally true. Not to keep his commandments, not to obey him, which is not to be loving to, toward others, makes any claim of knowing God fiction and totally unbelievable. Here John repeats that obedience 
is the only proof of love. Obedience is the only proof of love. Why is it that we want to call ourselves Christians, that we want to be active in the church, that we want to, quote, serve God, but we insist on doing it on our own terms? And when we find our will at, at some kind of a contest with the will of God, when we find ourselves in competition with the will of God, when we find our will running into his, we redefine the term, shift gears, and just go around what God demands that we do. The opposite is equally true. Not to do what he says makes any claim of knowing God fiction because obedience to his commandments is the only proof of love for him. God never demands anything of us without giving us the power to do it. And to deny that power, to admit that we cannot, dash, will not do what God demands is simply to admit that we do not know him. Here is virility. For in the light which overcomes the world, there is the power to do right. And then in verses 4 and 5, here is victory. True victory. Victory indeed. The Williams translation of the New Testament says, every child of God continues to conquer the world. John writes, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? To truly believe is to be victorious. On occasion I have been asked, well, now all, is, all there is to being saved, isn't it just saying, yes, I, I believe who Jesus is and I want to be saved? No. I'm afraid that's not all there is. For pistuo, believe, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God, pistuo is faith that produces action. And John has already said that one who says, I love God but hates his brother, which is contrary to the nature of God, is a liar and is in darkness even until now. You see, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God will live as though Jesus is the Son of God. It is his nature. Once he has been saved, to truly believe is to be victorious. You see, new birth faith guarantees eventual victory in Christ. For you see, faith is the gift of God. Saving faith, whereby God touched our hearts and we were able to reach out to Jesus and be saved. Saving faith equals the same faith that will fill us with his Holy Spirit every day and enable us to keep his commandments. And it equals victorious faith. New birth faith guarantees victory. For obedience enables us to overcome. The word overcome, the first time it is used, is in the present tense of continuous action. It means constantly to overcome, constantly to be victorious. 
It is habitual overcoming. And it means that for the Christian, defeat is the exception and not the rule. For the genuine believer, defeat is the exception and not the rule. In fact, a Christian can over can only be defeated by choice. You have within you the nature of the Lord Jesus. He is there. He has come into your life. He has taken over your life. And the only way you can be defeated is to say no to Jesus and to go your own way and to do your own thing. Defeat is the exception, not the rule. The conquering faith is the belief which produces action that Jesus is the Son of God. Our hope is indestructible. We will win. Are you not victorious? Every Christian knows what that is, to be defeated, to not be victorious. And when that is true, it means one of two things. If it is habitual, if there is never any real victory, if there is never any real peace, if life has been one series of spiritual downers after another, then it probably means the Holy Spirit has never come in and salvation has never been experienced. If it is a spasmodic thing, if periodically there is defeat, it means that we have grieved the Holy Spirit and he has had to withdraw his fullness of power from our lives because we have turned to our own ways. Is his will your delight? Or do you vainly expect God to do what you say? The word of God reveals his will. It is always true. And it says that the belief in Jesus that produces action is the victory that overcomes the world. You see, the world did its worst to Jesus. They hunted him. They hounded him. They slandered his name. They called Jesus Christ heretic, sinner, and the friend of sinners. They judged him, condemned him, crucified him, and buried him. They did everything they could to eliminate him, but it failed. And he is the guarantee of our victory. Everything that is born of God overcomes the world. And what is the victory over the world? It is our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. After the cross, there was resurrection. After the shame, there was glory. He is our victory. Love for God equals obedience to his commandments, equals love for others. I would remind you of this by way of illustration in closing. Sometimes, sometimes we try to let the world be the judge of and the determiner of what we do. How vain that is. I would remind you that the scribes and the Pharisees and many others looked squarely at God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and said, if that's what God's like, I don't want any part of it. And beloved, it is a compliment 
when a worldling of goodwill or badwill, an individual who does not know Christ, who is either friendly or unfriendly, it is a compliment to the work of God when they say, I want no part of it. For until the Holy Spirit of God touches that individual and convicts them of their sins and brings them to their knees, the last thing they want is a part of what God is doing. Love for God equals obedience to His commandment, and that equals love to each other. John said in the latter verses of chapter 4 of this letter, if a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. He said in chapter 2, he is in darkness even until now. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. His commandments are that we love and obedience to them is the only proof that we belong to Him. Evaluate your own life. Do you rejoice when others are well spoken of and perhaps you are not? Do you rejoice when another prospers or is there envy and, and jealousy of their prosperity as you see it? Do you like for the reputation of others to be built up. Do you, like Jesus, let your light shine so that the world can see the Father through you? The light is either on or it is off, and we shall all one day stand, as Paul said, before the judgment seat of Christ, and it is the light of your life that will be judged. No excuse, no alibis, nobody that you can blame it on is going to make any difference. God is going to ask, did you walk in the light or did you walk according to the light? What he would have you do, worship is all about response. There is no worship without response. And his invitation is open-ended. It is to you and to me at any point in our lives to come and walk in the light as he is in the light so that the blood of his son Jesus may cleanse us from all sin. Today, what he would have you do, do it right now. Do it quickly in response to his call. May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and its truth. Lord, I thank you that it is so simple for us to know the truth for we may look at our own lives and see whether or not the light is shining. Lord, you know us. You know where we fail. You know what we need. And Lord, I just pray that you would draw from us life-changing commitments. Father, we start and fight brush fires while the world burns. We make a mockery of the gospel and let Satan and his imps laugh for joy because we witness to the world that what your word says is not true. Father, I claim your presence and thank you that it is a fact. You have promised it. Father, I pray that you will cure us 
whatever remedy that may need to be. We're accountable for the truth. We know it. We've heard it. Lord, I ask that you would draw from our lives the kind of wholehearted obedience which will show the world that we love you and that we love them. Father, do what you will. I thank you that you shall do it. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing hymn 349, Have Thine Own Way. I do not know your heart. I'm not aware of what your need is, but the answer is found in obedience to his commandments. What he would have you do, do it now. Do it quickly.